Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know, for me, one of the pleasures in getting to do this show is the fact that we at Cracked Rackets get to talk to so many different people from throughout the tennis universe, get to hear so many different perspectives, whether it be players currently in the juniors, college tennis players, people in the midst of their pro careers. Of course, we get to talk to coaches at various different levels as well, members of the media, so much more. Uh, But today's guest is someone who has checked off every box, who has worked in all aspects of tennis and has succeeded at every stop. He's been. I, of course, am talking about the former All-American for TCU, the former U.S. Open semifinalist in doubles, and now the current head coach for the men's tennis team at the University of South Florida. Ashley Fisher joins the show today to talk about all of those experiences, to offer his, I suppose, lifetime uh, advice is the wrong word, to just offer his perspective uh, on all the issues currently confronting tennis for him, what it's like to transition from being in the pros to being a coach, being a member of the media, going back to being a coach, and what it's like to run a college tennis program while in the midst of a global pandemic that, of course, is unprecedented, and you know how he manages to keep his team close during this time, what it was like for him to have to experience telling all of those team members, hey, like I'm sorry, guys, but your season is canceled, and I know you all put in all of this hard work, but we're just not going to be able to do it this year, what that conversation is like, how it affects college tennis recruiting, of course, moving forward, uh, his thoughts on the state of college tennis. And then, of course, you know, we always like to have fun with our guests. So I ask him a little bit about his own college tennis career, uh, have some fun at his expense. I learned some good stories doing research for this. Of course, he was a two-time All-American at TCU. And, you know, I've got some friends in the TCU program, so we have some fun with Ashley's uh, personal playing career as well. I should also say joining us on the podcast today is uh, the man behind the college tennis ranks formula predictions never far from the listed UTR and one of the many dames to root for the Liberty Flames Chris Halioris and I think I actually just butchered his announcement that's how long it's been since we've had him on the show I apologize for butchering that introduction Chris Uh, but he joins us of course because whenever we talk to a college tennis coach I like to think I know a lot about college tennis Chris always there to help me fill in the gaps and you know it's just been a while since I heard his voice so it was a college tennis coach interview I shot him a little bit of a text I think it got to the dot 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 I hadn't even finished sending the message before he responded and said, what's up, Gruskin? And, you know, that's just Chris at his best. So, uh, you know, that the forefather of the college tennis ranks formula was going to bother me the whole time. But I remembered it. So there you go, Chris. I haven't forgotten you. And it was great to have him on the show as well to talk to Coach Fisher because, again, uh, Coach Fisher is a guy who has seen all aspects of the tennis world, you know, whether it be playing, coaching, being a part of it uh, as a member of the media. So it's a fantastic interview. I'm really looking forward to 
all of you guests listening to. Uh, of course, the reason we are able to have so many great conversations here on this Cracked Interviews podcast is because of the support we get day in, day out from our friends at Midwest Sports. And Midwest Sports has been offering that same sort of support to tennis players for years. And that's why they've served as one of the world's premier tennis equipment uh, suppliers for more than 20 years. They offer a comprehensive selection of fast shipping tennis supplies that few retailers can match. They also have one of the largest in-stock inventories of tennis equipment online, with tens of thousands of products available for shipping directly from their automated warehouse to your front door. They value innovation and have personally tailored their products to highlight your skills on the court. And maybe you don't know exactly what you need. That's okay, because their well-trained staff are intimately familiar with tennis equipment and can help you find that perfect racket, perfect shoe, or perfect clothing that is sure to put you ahead of the competition. Their selections of tennis equipment are consistently first to market, and they pride themselves in stocking their warehouses with the newest products at the lowest prices. You can find all of these products, all of these outstanding prices, by going to their website, MidwestSports.com. Once you're there, you're going to want to order yourself up some gear. Make sure you have everything you need to make your return to the tennis court successful. The good news, if you use our promo code CR15, not only will you get an additional 15% off, not only will you get free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75, you'll also get a free can of Wilson tennis balls, again, because they want to ensure you have everything you need to make your return to the court a successful one. Go to MidwestSports.com, use that promo code CR15 to let them know that we sent you there. And speaking about making that return to the court a successful one, I think we can all acknowledge that, you know, during this quarantine period, it's been difficult to stick to our usual fitness regimens. I know for me, a lot more running than I'm used to in my past. My knees have paid the price. If you hear any squeaking in the background, that's not me sitting on a squeaky chair. That's just my knees creaking from all the miles I have put on them. Uh, But certainly, you know, things like my nutrition and staying in shape, putting the right things in my body have been, you know, put at a premium now more than ever ever since we can't keep our usual daily schedules. And we all know nutrition, fitness, that's half the battle when it comes to tennis. If your feet aren't moving right, you're just not going to have a a pleasurable experience on the court. It's the worst thing in the world when the body's working, the strokes are there, but the feet aren't following with you. And so, you know, as I've learned by doing our new series on our Thursday mini break shows, getting to the point with our friends at Aerobar, nutrition and fitness, not just something that's important to the highest level professional tennis players, but important important to all tennis players. And that is why, again, we are so thrilled to be partnered with our friends at Aerobar uh, because we know Aerobar is uh, offering a nutritious option, the only tennis-specific energy bar on the market available. And it's delicious. It comes in two outstanding flavors. You've got, of course, your classic chocolate chip. And no one can complain with a chocolate chip Aerobar, but I, uh, a chocolate chip energy bar ever, but a chocolate chip Aerobar particularly delicious. But there's su- cinnamon honey oat, folks. I, I can't stress this enough, and I'm a man who's just got a love of cinnamon. I also love honey. I also love oat. I would say you go to Potbelly, and I shouldn't be saying this when I'm talking nutrition. You go to a sandwich shop. They offer three excellent cookies, uh, chocolate brownie, sugar, and oatmeal chocolate chip. I'll always go oatmeal chocolate chip because I think it's that good. That oat in the cinnamon honey oat just accentuates the Aero Bar beautifully. Mm-hmm. 
Um, just getting my mouth water, just thinking about it now. The point is you can start you know, making a better commitment to your nutrition, ensuring you are in this right sort of shape for when you make your return to the tennis court and because you want that return to be a successful one. So go to our friends at aerobar.com, learn more about their product. Be sure to listen to our Thursday mini break episodes, getting to the point with our friends at Aerobar and use our promo code CRACK15 because inevitably you're going to want to order yourself up a case. They're delicious, a perfect breakfast option as well. Even if you're not making a move on the court, they're just a healthy alternative, a great way to start your day. There's a rhyme for you, Andrew. I hope you write that in the copy moving forward. But be sure to go to aerobar.com, use our promo code CRACKED15, get 15% off your order moving forward. All right, with that being said, an outstanding crack interview for you folks. Me and Chris Halioris talked to current University of South Florida men's tennis head coach and, of course, success in all avenues of tennis, Ashley Fisher. That conversation coming up right now. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Today is a former NCAA doubles finalist and All-American at TCU. He also is reached number 19 in the ATP doubles rankings, the current coach of the University of South Florida men's tennis team. Ashley Fisher, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well, thanks. I uh, appreciate you guys having me on. Oh, it is always our pleasure to chat with our favorite, you know, coaches from around the world. And it, it's May right now, right? And this would be the time when either the NCAA tournament had just finished or if you're making a deep run, all of us college tennis fans would be watching. How weird has this May been for you as someone who's been a part of the NCAA college tennis for so long to not have to, you know, think about the NCAA tournament? Yeah, it's certainly been a unique experience and on many levels uh, i mean one is just the the monotonous lifestyle that, that i've been living i can't speak for everybody but i'm a guy who has just spent most of my life traveling around and being in different cities and just having so much variety uh, um, that i think i probably have to go back about 30 years to find a period this long where I've just been in the same zip code. Um, so it's, you know, that's one of the great things about our sport is that we get to travel, we get to experience new cultures, new cities. Um, there's certainly no lack of excitement. So it's, yeah, but, it, but it's just, I feel so sorry for, for the student athletes who, who really just look forward to this time of the year. It's it's so much fun for them competing in the conference championships, the NCAA tournament. It's a, it's a great month for, for college tennis. And, um, you know, especially with, with how things went last year at Lake Nona, we, we got off to a, a fantastic start and I'm sure everybody was looking forward to building on, on that momentum. So it's been tough, but, you know, life deals you some, some bad hands. Sometimes I think it's a good lesson for for all of us, just to, and a reminder that it's 
it's finite. You just never know. You know, you, you could be one one shot away from that career-ending injury. So, you know, I think when people do return to practice and competition, I, I'm hoping that we all have a new lens and can really appreciate the sport even more. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you talked about your seniors there and communicating it to them. And I know on your team this year, I believe you had two seniors and then a bunch of sophomores. And, you know, I don't want, you don't have to comment on if those seniors are coming back or not at this point, but for you communicating to your team that, hey guys, like we've learned the season is going to be canceled and coordinating with them, getting everyone back home. You know, what was that process like for you? How difficult was it you know not only professionally but just personally to have to have those conversations with your players yeah it's tough I mean it's tough tough on everybody uh but we our guys handled it well I mean they they know that they, they were frustrated but they did a great job of, of not showing it um and you know, particularly with the way we set our spring up we we talk about March being a huge month where we where we've had a good history of really playing our best tennis at the end of the season and we use March as the impetus for that we play a lot of matches um, and things were just starting to get really exciting we, we'd played a double header the day before this the season got cancelled so it was tough and then as you said it's it's on to the next logistical task which is which is getting a lot of guys safe and we have a, a very international roster and guys uh, from france and spain and the countries that at the time were really being hit hard so you know a lot a lot went into that and just um you know trying to figure out wh- whether they would be better off here or at home and, and ultimately that was their decision um and, and most of our guys did a pretty good job of um of taking care of everything that needed to be done in Tampa and then getting home with their families. Yeah, and you talk about the international nature of your team during this time period. I'm sure you guys are doing Zoom calls amongst the team, but how di- you know how difficult has it been to coordinate training schedules and keeping guys on the same program, knowing that they also you know still had to balance school down the home stretch these past months. Well, I mean, there was no no tennis. I mean, Spain and Italy, Spain and France, I and mean, Italy as well. We don't have any Italians. But th- those countries were under pretty strict lockdown provisions. Um, I mean, we our guys were saying they hadn't been outside in 26, 27 days. So Spain has just opened up uh, um, in the last two weeks. Sergio is one of, one of our guys. He's just started hitting. Um, so it, it, having said that, I, the guys, I think, did a pretty good job of utilizing the time. They, they got into their studies. They... They were all uh, doing a lot of fitness. They saw it as a, as a good opportunity to get in, get into shape. And then you know, we 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 did talk a lot about toughness and and mental skills and and what comes with that. The meditation, the journaling, and and the endless resources that are that are out there if if you want to do some research. Um, and and so a few of our guys really were able to take advantage of that as well and 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 use this period as a as a time to try to find some separation to try to get ahead but yeah you know, and that was my initial reaction as well but i i found i had days where it was just very difficult and so as much as i wanted that to happen for all of us to to use it as a chance to to get ahead of of our competition yeah you know, i i also understood 
when guys just didn't have that motivation and just couldn't get themselves going. And um, so, you know, that's another part of it. It's just the mental health and just making sure that everybody has the right resources and access to people to talk to. Um, so it's it's been an interesting period. I mean, I don't know how you guys have, have dealt with it, but I've for me, I've gone through different stages, almost, almost like the five stages of grief where <laughs> – you end up with acceptance, and I, I'm pretty sure I'm there now. But uh, but anger was was a part of it at, at some point where I just was just couldn't I, I couldn't quite I, I didn't know where to where to point it. I just that's that's the problem. Um, you know, you just you just have this sort of frustration and having the kids. We have two young children, and it's hard for them. They're very active guys, and you know, they're having to get used to homeschooling and. You know, I've got a lot of respect for teachers now. I don't think our teachers are paid paid well enough because it it was tough just balancing that with with my own responsibilities and also communicating with the guys and parents and yeah, you know, there's just a lot of variables. But it's um, you know, I mean, there's there's thousands of people that would want to have have those responsibilities. So I always have to remind myself of that. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you there. I'm curious for you guys, you know, have you been doing team zooms? Yeah, yeah, we've had a we've had a zoom just, just once a week. We we meet every Friday, and we we have guys in Australia, here, and Europe, and as well as South America. So finding finding the sweet spot isn't easy. With we're at 5 p.m., which is which is 11 p.m. in Europe. It's um, I think it's 6 a.m. in Australia, um, and it's you could argue 5 p.m. on a Friday isn't the best time either for the guys <laughs> here. They're probably looking forward to their weekends, uh, but it was the the time that we felt was best. Um, and and with James and I, James Wilson is our associate head coach, and and we're communicating every day. And, and we've said that one of our goals for this period is to to get even closer to our guys, to have have as many points of contact as possible and you know, just getting on the phone with guys and just checking in and and just really, I mean, it doesn't even have to be about tennis, just, just learning more. And even even at one point I, I started just researching each guy's city and just trying to understand the, the history of it and just anything – I felt to to get me closer to the guys. I'm I'm somebody that believes a lot in connection, and and the more the more connection you have, the better off you're going to be as a as a person, as a as a team, and 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 information helps you with with that. So, you know, I was just I went on a on a search just to try to try to dig as as deep as I could go with with all of our guys, and you know that's that's another layer of just getting them vulnerable and opening up and. And, and letting me get to some places, and it's um, it's a it's a process. I mean, it's it's a fluid situation. No, I love that. I mean, it. I feel like you could just hop on Yelp and be like, "What are the good restaurants in this area?" And be like, "So, have you tried this?" Like all of these things. I mean, I can tell again why you are a head coach, why people would enjoy playing for you. Now, on the flip side of that, you know, during those Zoom calls, because it's a lot of people. You know, once you hit that eight, nine, ten threshold number on a call, it gets a little strenuous. Who is the one player on your roster? Or if you could just mute his side of the call, where you just no one would have to hear from him, which player on your team would you mute? <laughs> um, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, 
I, I'm not quite sure I understand it. So, we, so you're is... trying to give like a serious lecture, let's say, and then someone just on the team is in the back joking off, and it just distracts everyone. There's got to be that guy on the team. Yeah, yeah, okay, I got you now. Yeah, it's it's probably Ivan Yatsuk or Niels Van Nord. <laughs> Um, but yeah, at the same at the same time, you you rely on those guys. They're the guys that can can cut tension just with a quick one liner or something. And yeah, like it's we we actually believe that humor plays a big role in in our lives and trying to sort of alleviate tension and, and stress. And um, so, but it's of course you need the right balance of of being serious and, and having a laugh. Hey, Coach, don't worry. In, in our in our crack racket staff meetings, it's Gruskin that's get, that gets muted. There's no doubt. <laughs> true story. Very true. <laughs> so, so it. Coach, what, what's it been like? I mean, so, you, you know, you kind of talked about some of the things going on, but from a recruiting standpoint, you know, with the whole dead period and the different things going on, what's what's it been like for uh, for you guys as coaches now to – to try to do, I mean, obviously the only thing you can really do from a recruiting standpoint is the, the zoom slash, you know, phone, whatever it is you can get in, but how, how's that been a little different? And, and do you guys still have plans or tentative plans, you know, for pre school year to be, you know, assuming something, any sort of normality comes back to be making any sort of visits or are you pretty much you're there for the summer and waiting for fall to start and, and recruiting's a hundred percent remote. Well, yeah, somewhere, somewhere. Well, as as to the last piece of the question, I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, you know, the NCAA will also be the final authority on that. We're in a dead period, I believe, until is it July 31st now? Um, I, I could be off on that, but it it it's been a changing goal line for a while. Uh, you know, yeah, we've been we've been doing a lot of a lot of calls, especially initially when it first happened. That was where we were spending most of our time recruiting. Um, but we've we've got a we've got a pretty full squad right now, and um, and a and a young squad. We have a lot of sophomores. Um, the one thing where it it really hurts is just not being able to watch matches. Uh, you know, that's I said to myself that I'm. I'm never going to sign another player or we're never going to sign another player unless I've seen them play live matches uh, just because it's, I mean, it's just a very important piece of it, just just seeing. And really, you can expand that out to, to how somebody prepares for a match, how they, what they look like after, what's the handshake like, what's the interaction like with their own coach, you know, do they go and hit balls, like do they just storm out of there? You know, there's there's so much to learn just by by observing recruits in their in their natural habitat. So um, that, that that part of it's tough, but um, at the same time, you know, watching watching film or watching archive matches that we we have on our guys. I mean, this has been a great opportunity just to to do a lot of the things that you often just get caught up in in the season and don't have time to do. Um, so yeah, but uh, you know, if, if if things go well, hopefully uh, things are opening up in Florida. I'd say we're one of the more advanced states, just with with a with the phased approach. And I would love the opportunity to get back on court um, with with some of our guys. We have three players that are that are close to Tampa right now, and that was the plan uh, before COVID nineteen. 
arrived was for a few of the guys to hang around, take some summer school, and and I, I'm a guy that just loves being on court. So does James, and we were we were really excited just to get after it and have a have a really long training block and and just work on some things without the the match that's always on the on the close horizon coming up. So. Um, you know, hope, hopefully we'll still have a chance. I mean, it feels like we've been doing this forever, but it's 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 a great reminder that we we uh, you, um, you get these nice Facebook updates a year ago, and I just got one you know, a year ago. We were at NCAA's with Alberto Barroso Campos, so there's still so much time left before the fall season starts. So, um, you know, hopefully that we'll, we'll get that opportunity to work with some of our guys if they want, and it has to be voluntary. Yeah, I, was I, I thought I heard, I, I won't swear to this, but I thought I heard that voluntaries uh, sometime, maybe June 10th or sometime coming somewhat soon, voluntaries were going to start being allowed again. Is that right? Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right on that. It's That's the NCAA side of it. Then I think they're still leaving it up to each each individual university. So, um, so you know, I think right now... USF is pretty focused on trying to get football going and trying to get get their guys practicing as as they should. I mean, they they they're competing soon, um, so yeah. I, I I mean, with hopefully USF will will give us the green light kind of in in, in the coming weeks, um, next month or so. I hope um, to be able to get out on court or it doesn't even have to be the USF facilities. It could be a public court. There's plenty of public courts here. Um, but yeah, we're just, we're excited to, to get to work. And so are our guys. It's hard. It's hard having, knowing they're practicing 30 minutes away and we're just sitting here unable <laughs> to be part of it. So, so you mentioned you guys, had, I mean, you had a pretty full roster, but one of the unique circumstances that this you know the, the whole pandemic has brought about was was this opportunity for kids to come back for another year and then you know we had a host of schools obviously a lot of schools are trying to bring their kids back some schools just financially uh, aren't in a situation to do that and it opened up a big opportunity from uh, transfers and the transfer portal perspective did you get did you have did you play much into the you know scouring the transfer portal looking for opportunities there or or was that something where you were full enough that you really that wasn't in the books for this year yeah no that's something we're always always looking at the, the two players that we added last year both came via the portal so um yeah i mean it's it's as full as it's ever been i mean it takes you it takes you a while you got to set aside a good good period of your afternoon just to get through that thing um but yeah you know that's we're we're looking for good players and good good high character guys anywhere. You know, people people ask me, what's your recruiting strategy? And I'm, we're just happy to get them wherever we can find them. You know, if they fit if they fit the criteria, they're hardworking guys. They enjoy and embrace competition, and they're high character guys wanting to grow. You know, we we're we're gonna we're gonna be very interested in meeting somebody like that. So whether it's on the portal or whether whether it's the other side of the world, um, but um, yeah, I mean, we our seniors are, are going to come back. We're, we're fortunate that our our president and athletic director have supported that. Uh, we were in a very very good situation because they weren't graduating; they they were going to be here in the fall anyway. So 
um, it's it's our number two and three players as well. So it 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 really made sense on every angle um, to bring them back and just and keep them around for one more semester, which is which I think most college tennis players would agree is the is the fun portion of the year, the spring. Um, so yeah, it's it's you know it's going to be an interesting year because. I think teams are just going to be so much better uh, because of the, the seniors coming back and then the ability to reload off their scholarship that, that you're freeing up um, in, in a lot of cases. So you know, I, I'm, I'm excited just to see see sort of the level that College Dance is going to produce next year because I think it's going to be as high as ever. Yeah, I think the North Carolina women's team probably falls or somewhere in the middle of the men's rankings at this coming year <laughs> with that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and so, well, I guess one last follow-up. You, you know, you, you obviously you mentioned that you guys had the chance to bring your seniors back, which is great. And I had said, you know, I had talked to the to the fact that some schools had that opportunity and others didn't. Have you have you personally there had to, you know, have you had any financial implications of, of things that you've had to kind of change up the way you're doing things, or are you, you know, you're having to reschedule and look for. Uh, you know, closer matches, less travel, whether that be budgetary or, uh, you know, health-related uh, issues. But uh, just any kind of things that you've had to sort of take some of your off-season and, and adjust based off of the, the financial th- decisions that have been and things that have occurred during the pandemic for the, for the upcoming season? Yeah, well, I, there's, there's a few layers to that. I, I think... Um... You know we're 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 going to be fiscally responsible as we always are, and um, yeah, USF's been been pretty pretty supportive with with that piece of it, um, and and hasn't hasn't asked us to to shave off much too much at all, um, and but having said that, we're we're very used to having small rosters. We've we've had eight players, we've had nine players, we've had seven players. One one of my years here. And next year, we'll have probably 12. So that that just given given the same budget as previous years, just having to make it work for three or four more guys is is, is going to be a challenge. But you know what what one opportunity that has presented itself here is I think a lot of universities are, are in the same boat in in the sense of of just making dollars stretching out their dollars and and so what we're seeing is a lot more regional play a lot more tournaments in the state of florida and where this is a huge tennis state um so it i we're actually probably going to get better competition without having to travel as much uh yeah, john roderick's going to have a tournament I, I believe they'll hopefully there'll be a tournament at the university of miami we have the Bedford Cup. We have regionals. Um, we're playing another uh, great event in Destin, so you know we can drive to all of these tournaments. Um, you know, not have to stress about air travel, and, um, and 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 still get the get the great matches. Which is what, at the end of the day, everybody's just going to be wanting matches. I don't think they're going to be too concerned with where they're getting them. Um, and then. Um, then I think we're also going to be playing more Florida schools than, than we have in the, in the past and even possibly doubling up. We're going to play UCF twice next year, um, which is incredible. You know, that's, that's, they're our main rival. Um, they really bring out the best in us. John's doing a great job there in terms of 
they get better every year and it's it's making us get better as well we have no choice we have to we have to get better or, or be left behind so um you know it's probably the best thing that could happen to us really is is um that program just resurging and um and getting to play out of lake nona and and john's done a terrific job recruiting and um it's it's really just it's sort of like what federer and nadal how some people say, oh, imagine how many slams Rafa would have won if it wasn't for Roger or vice versa, but they don't say that. They, they're actually grateful for the other guy because they realize how much they've had to add to their game, how much better that rivalry has made them. So we're in a similar position here with UCF. Uh, so, so, what, so what I hear is Coach Hill's been gone too long to steal any grad transfers anymore, huh? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, Matt, Matt is, uh, is, is a good friend of mine, and there was, no, there hasn't, hasn't been any, any stealing there. <laughs> no, that's good to hear, and Coach, you, you sort of mentioned it there, and we, you hear about things such as that, but do you think it'll be a regional focus at the start, just until we get a, you know, a real grip on this coronavirus pandemic, that the matches will be, as you mentioned, Florida-centric, or, you know, southeast portion of the country-centric for not just your team, but I guess it'll be regionally, uh, regionally sort of limited at the, to- at the beginning? Yeah, that's that's my feeling. I'm I'm not basing that off off reading anything, um, but I do I do know a, a couple of a couple of Big Twelve schools have have canceled their matches with us. Um, it's where they're not coming to Florida. Um, you know, we we haven't really been given a whole lot of direction in terms of saying don't fly somewhere. Um, you know, we, we we're not not going to travel to New York, but um, that wasn't that wasn't in the plans anyway. Uh, you know, we're still we're playing University of Texas, which is a, a match we're looking forward to. We're still going to make that trip, but yeah, I would I would think that that's probably what's going to happen. Is there's just going to be be just as less or as limited flying as possible. Um, but yeah, you know, in terms of playing conference matches, you know, that's I think that's probably where, if I had to guess, conferences will will draw the line and say it's okay to to fly to play a conference match. But um, the non-conference schedule, you just got to figure it out and and play schools that are closer to you. Mm-hmm. Now, just an excuse for Rodidi to duck come into your home turf, right? <laughs> a typical Rodidi, uh, never never uh, fails to seize the moment. But you know, for you, you sort of mentioned their UCF and you know their their strengthening of their program. And for you guys, you look over these past six years, and I know you took over as head coach in July 2016. But it's you know five, I believe, conference titles in the last six years you look at where you guys were at this season I believe nine and four when play stopped how are you feeling about the state of your program you know do you, how are you feeling now that you've really got your bearings into this UCF team yeah I, I'm as excited as as I've ever been really I, I was a guy that after I stopped playing professionally I was lost I, I struggled for a, a lot of years I just couldn't couldn't find something that I was passionate about that I was excited to get out of bed and when I got the opportunity to work with Matt um, I was amazed at just how quickly I, I bonded to to the guys and to the program and um, 
and then I was very fortunate to get the job when Matt left. The administration took a took a chance on a guy that had five months experience, um, and I, it's been a huge learning curve. I've, I've made plenty of mistakes along the way, but I'm I'm actually grateful that I've I've made them early in, in my coaching career, and it's you know because they're the lessons that you that you learn and you never forget when you when you've made a mistake, um, and I've sort of now come to terms with this is this is who I am I'm a I'm, I'm a college coach I want this to be my last job I, I hope that I can stay at USF until I finish working and, and yeah it's it, it it didn't it didn't just get there quickly it took me a few years to establish that as, as my new identity um, I'm still looking forward to the day when most of my great stories uh, are college tennis stories, and not. I've still got so many sort of in the archive from from the tour days because I did it for 14, 15 years, and that's when I'll, I'll know that I'm, you know, I'm just I've fully transformed to to a college coach when I've you know forgotten about the touring days and all my stories are like, oh, when we were playing the conference tournament in, in 2023, you wouldn't believe the maths that you know Chase Ferguson played. So yeah, but it's it's just it's a lot of fun and um and there's just I, I it's really awakened my my curiosity and my desire to learn. I'm just constantly reading books and listening to podcasts and studying i'm staring on my wall now i have phil jackson i've got um pj fleck and pete carroll and these are three coaches that i that i look up to and i learn as much as i can and yeah i just it 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 was about x's and o's and tennis four or five years ago i didn't i didn't get that part of it i didn't understand that you had to connect with the guys that they had to trust you that you had to grow relationships that you, you know, and it was and it goes well beyond tennis that yeah, our number one goal here at USF is that every person leaves a better person than when they started and their goal is that they leave USF men's tennis in a better position than when they started and if we can get that right you know good things are going to happen but I didn't I didn't understand that for the first couple of years. I thought it was all about tennis and and X's and O's, and I felt like I understood that, and I I couldn't I couldn't figure out why we weren't doing better, really. But now it you know it took kind of getting a few things wrong and and not having the culture quite right to to realize how important it was, and and so that's sort of what what wakes me up every morning is just trying to continue and it's it's always a fluid situation but just trying to create an environment where guys emphasize hard work where they where they're curious where they have a growth mindset where they're looking for feedback where they're playing for each other they're playing for the community um where they understand that how you do anything is how you do everything where they understand that this this is a journey and it's it's we're hopefully teaching skills that aren't going to expire in four years. They're skills that they can use for the rest of their life. And, and going to Roberto Sid's wedding at the end of last year, and, and you know, that's that's a moment where I'm sitting back there saying, you know, how good is this? How, how amazing is it that here's a guy that played for USF three or four, four years ago, and I'm in Mexico watching him get married, and I'm on the dance floor with all, 
all these, you know, USF bulls from the last 10 years. I think that was not too long before we got to see him play in uh, Ann Arbor, wasn't it there, uh, Graskin? Yeah, I was going to say, Roberto said that's a name we know well, Chris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We saw him in Ann Arbor, and he was married not too long before that. But, but Coach, you talk, so you, you talk about the, you know, you, how it, it's not all X's and O's, and obviously you played college tennis, so you knew, but after after going out and playing the tour for 14 or 15 years, did you, I mean, did, did it, was it an adjustment coming back and having to real, you know, get back to the point where in college tennis, it's not always just raw talent on paper, right? There's that, there's the whole team aspect and there's a lot more to it than just who's the better player. And that's going to be the team that wins. Oh, exactly. I mean, that's, that's what it's all about really. Cause this, I believe there's so much parody in college tennis. There, there are so many, so many good players. I mean, it, it struck me the other day, I was just playing around on the UTR site and I, I, one of our guys is a 13 or something and, and his ranking in college is 370 or something like that. It, it, it blew my mind when I thought about it. So there's just so many good players and that, that wasn't a lesson that I learned in college because it wasn't like that. The, the depth wasn't there. I remember I played with Rodini. It's funny. You just got to mention his name. We, you know, we, we were good friends. We were teammates. And we, I was very fortunate to be on very, very good teams. We, we were ranked, I believe, six, five, and three uh, my first three years. And I just remember playing a team that was 25, 30, and just the level of, of concern or anxiety was just pretty minimal. I just, I, I don't think that we lost in four years to, to, or three years to teams like, like that at that ranking. You just, there just there wasn't the depth of of players that there is now. Um, it's just opened up. I mean, you've gotten some coaches that I really credit guys like Matt Canal and Brian Boland and some of these young, hungry coaches that just came in and just worked so hard and just found players on all corners of the globe. And then that put pressure on the traditional blue chip programs to up their game. And now you've got the status quo, which is just, it's amazing. I mean, the fact that the number sixes on teams have, have won futures is just like, I wouldn't have believed that um, because everybody I think has a tendency to want to want to think that, whether it's your generation or your product is like the best, right? So that's kind of I was hearing it from from good friends, Trip Phillips and Devin Bowen and these guys that I'm very close to that I knew had great tennis minds, and they're they're telling me how how high the quality of is in college tennis, but I didn't I didn't believe it until I got there. Yeah, and. You know, you, you sort of talked about uh, the fact that connecting with your players beyond just the X's and O's. Uh, I'm curious because so often my generation, just for the record, I'm 24. So, you know, you're 96 season, you're making an NCAA doubles final. I'm considering getting out of diapers. Uh, so that's where we're at various stages of life. But, you know, for uh, connecting with your players, what does that process look like to you? You know, is it things like, do you think you have to be social media literate to be a head coach nowadays, just so that that you can sort of follow along with all the things your players are doing on their phones. Well, that's a that's a great question. I, I don't think you have to be 
proficient in social media to have good relationships with the guys. I mean, you can make a great argument that you need it for recruiting and marketing the program, but I mean, relationships are forged through through words and and experiences. Um, yeah, I mean, it doesn't hurt to be able to to follow somebody on Facebook or Instagram, and and then it gives you more more material to work with. <laughs> sure. But you know, I don't. I don't think it's the only way. Um, but yeah, it's just it's it's really getting the message across that you know it's not conditional, right? Like I I don't care about Chase Ferguson any more than I care about Tobias Sonnet. Chase is our number one, and Tobias was was our eight or nine. You know, it's you don't you don't have to win to earn our respect it's it, it's it's hard work it's competing it's it's pushing your teammates it's you know treating school and giving it your best and just you know being getting in the community like you know all of these goals that we have for the program you know that's that's how you earn your, your stripes that's how that's how you earn your credibility um so yeah i think i think at the end of the day that if talent is equal, it's it's going to be the team that's more connected, that's just that's just willing to push harder. That's just not they're not looking for excuses. They're not looking for outs. They're just they're just taking pride in in how hard of a match it is to play against them, whether it's a whether you beat them or not. And you know, that's that's what we want our identity to be a team that is just a nightmare to play against. That we're never going away. Until until you shake our hand, and then then you'll see the guy that just shook your hand race over to the first open court, and he's going to give give whoever his teammate is everything he has until until all all of us are like you know back under the tent. I mean, we we make a point of of saying you just you never never know which match it's going to be for somebody that changes their their year, their season, and that, and that can change your life. So it, it, it could be a, a dead match that, that doesn't have an influence on the outcome of the dual match, but maybe that's the match that that guy needed to get himself going, that, that then gets his confidence up and then he goes on a run and you just, you just never know. And we've seen it, we've seen it happen. We, 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 we talk about not letting a ball bounce twice as a team rule. And, and Cuba, last couple of years ago, uh, is is playing a match and it's it's the match has already been clinched, and he he just like digs out a ball that looked like it was going to bounce twice. He wins. He wins in a super tie break, and during the team meeting, I made a point of it. I said, you know, look look at Cooper. He, he he just dug in. You know, we we treated that match like if somebody was watching, they would have felt like that was the deciding match. That's that's always kind of the litmus test. So, and I said, you know, winning that match for Cuba in, in, in a close situation like that is going to pay dividends. It's going to help him. At some point, I promise you, Cuba is going to clinch a match for us when he's the last one out there. The very next day, he's down three match points and he wins seven, six, and the third for us to beat South Alabama 4 3. Yeah, 
No, that's perfect. That's what college tennis is all about. And again, you asked, you know, you want to be known for what you do as a head coach. Believe me, I have some questions for you coming up. But, you know, in those moments, because the energy is what separates college tennis from all other forms of tennis, just listening to the teams go at it, you know, the the sound level is through the roof. Um, As someone who, you know, you played college tennis, but then you go to the pro circuit and that is not what the atmosphere is like. You know, do you enjoy the energy? I mean, I'm sure you do enjoy enjoy the energy level of college tennis, but, you know, all of the yelling and the screaming and the shouting, does that ever get excessive to you, or do you think that's, you know, what makes the good teams great? <laughs> uh, I mean, I, the the younger version of me had a hard time with it, and, and, and I remember losing matches because I was so offended by my opponent fist pumping and staring at me and I just I took the bait I was I was looking for an excuse and and then I you know I'm looking back and reflecting on that and I'm thinking here's this guy out there he's from Romania he's playing in the US who knows what his situation is is this this he might have been stringing rackets all night to get this opportunity and and I'm going to be angry at him because he's trying too hard. I mean, what what is wrong with you, Ash? Like, you know, you, how how do you take offense to that? Like, you should you should you know. Now it's kind of I'm the opposite. Now I look at people like that, and I just have so much respect, especially the guys that can do it when they don't have the scoreboard in their favor. And that's you look at somebody like Nadal. He's just a master at manufacturing momentum. Right, it's like he knows something that the world doesn't know. Like he's, he, he's just looking at anything to cling on to to convince himself that that's going to turn it for him if if he's not doing well. So, you know, I th- I, I think it's it's a great thing. And um, like you said, it, it you hear somebody yelling, and 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 screaming, and you you can't help but assume that it's it's significant and they're playing something that's very important to them now that doesn't mean that the this this whoever it is that doesn't say a word you know isn't being intense and it's not important to him i mean it's 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 not for everybody and that's that's what i think we have to understand and i'm not going to tell anybody how to run their program but here we just talk about like what is your sort of top gear you know what do you look like when when you're at your best, when you're in that flow state, when you have great intensity. And that's going to vary across the lineup, but that's what we expect you to bring regardless of the score or regardless of the, of the match situation. Because, And you keep in mind, you can't often see the actual scoreboard. So we, we say, look, if, if the guys playing on courts one and two look down at five and six and they see two guys with their head down, you know, like throwing their arms in the air every second point, they're going to assume that things aren't going too well there, and that's going to put more pressure on their match. So we just want to be able to look up and down and just see guys, whether they're winning or not, just you, having a look that says that they're ready for the fight, that they're expecting good things to happen, that they're, they're if, if they're down, they're, they're projecting that they believe that they're finding solutions. They're searching for solutions, and they're showing that they believe they're going to find them. And you keep doing that until you shake hands. Hey, you, Coach, you talk about the, uh, the the fact that sometimes you can't see what's going on on every court. And I know Alex is a 
he hears me a lot uh, rail <laughs> on this subject. Like anybody in college tennis that builds new courts, I feel like should be a mandate that you have six in a row. And I know you don't have that at USF. You've got the split court situation. And I've been there many times. What What do you feel about the? Do you like it when you when you as a coach can see down the line every court and not have to go walking you know through the grass to get from one to five and six? Uh, yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> I, 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 I like. Yeah, SMU is a good example of it, where they they have the huge scoreboard um, at the, at the end, and you just look up and you can always know where where the match is at. But I I don't I don't love that that players. I I think we players can have a tendency to scoreboard watch a little bit too much and just get 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 distracted. Um, I think you know the the best way to help your team is just to to put your head down. Focus on your court. Um, I mean, when you when you have breaks, or maybe when you're going to a changeover or coming out, that's when you can you can yell out. Uh, maybe if you're in the corner and the other guy goes to get a ball or something, you you give him a little fist bump. Or probably not not next year, uh, but um, yeah, I, yeah, I think I think it's. I, I hope that we don't do this, but I'm sure we're guilty of it sometimes. Players will base their level of effort based on their level of optimism in the match. You know, if they feel like, especially in a clinch format, if they feel like, the, you know, the match is going to be clinched, you know, they just, sometimes you, you can't help but make the decision that, hey, my match isn't going to matter. We're in trouble because I can see clearly that we're, you know, and then and you rob yourself the chance. What if, what if two guys do come back and then, You've disengaged just because you didn't you didn't see that comeback coming. You, you thought the team was going to lose four zero. Like you just you just never know. And we've seen so many crazy things in sports that it's we should never be surprised when things happen. I mean we've I mean I, I, I it's the same with sort of adversity. I mean guys that have a hard time with it. I mean you know I, I understand where it's where it's based now and it's I'm. I'm I spent a lot of time studying the mind and how people handle competition and pressure, but yeah, there's no surprises. I can tell you everything that's going to, all the things that can go wrong in a tennis match. I can I could write a couple of pages and list them out, and I can also guarantee that you're going to hit a few of those every time you play a match. You're going to get the the squandered love forty games. You're going to get the shank winners, let cord winners, the the overrule that you don't agree with, the bad call you don't agree with, all this stuff, we, we see it happen over and over. So, you know, where's the, where's the coping mechanism? Like, let's, let's, let's learn to d develop the skills to handle all of these things. We know what's coming. I remember, I remember like years ago, uh, one of the Patriots was talking about something. And I mean, I might get a little controversial, here but it was it was to do with it, there was a gay a gay player that was entering the draft and the 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 story at the time was how you know, some teams were considering you know not not wanting to draft this player because of the distraction in the locker room and and one of the pats got up and said the reason new england has had so much success is because we are so good at responding to adversity when it hits, just kind of unexpected things going wrong, 
you know, they, they, they happen and you just have no choice but to deal with it. So if you are an organization and you can't deal with something that you've got a five-month head start on, you, you need to be asking yourself some serious questions as an organization. Um, so, yeah, that's that's sort of the way part of me feels about, about tennis players as well is, you know, all of the things that we get frustrated about, we've seen happen so many times. You know, we just we, we know that we don't play our best when we get upset and start yelling and start complaining. But, you know, I, I understand also how hard it is to break those habits. And, and you know, now I'm, I've, I've, I've evolved a little in my position on it because I, I now realize that the, the people that are dealing the most with the, with the nerves and, and the frustration are probably the most competitive guys on the team. You know, it just it, it's people that are nervous we say that that's a good thing. I mean, that shows how, how much this means to you. I'd be concerned if you put a USF shirt on and you weren't nervous. It's just, I'm, I'm glad that it, it carries that level of significance and importance that every time you put this shirt on to represent this team and this university and this community, that it, it makes you nervous. That's a good thing. Now, let's talk about the fact that we have a decision in, in how we handle those nerves. We don't have to entertain and listen to all these worst case scenario thoughts that might be popping up we can we can notice them we can be aware of them but we can choose a different course of action that gives ourselves the best chance of success so you've mentioned several times that you you, you like to get into a lot of the mental aspects and studying the mind do you get do you do anything with the guys where um you know maybe you have them read any of the guys you know, there are a lot of guys out there like John Gordon or Alistair McCaw that, that talk about a lot of those positive type, you know, visualizing things and having good attitudes and, and that kind of stuff. Do you get into any of that with the guys? Oh, I mean, I think if you ask the question to the guys, they'd say, what day doesn't he get into that stuff? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if, if there was a horse around here, he died many years ago. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm obsessed with it. I mean, we do we do a lot of mental skills training. We're fortunate to have a have a really good guy on staff at USF, um, but we also have we have outside resources that we use. Um, the guys are all all have the Calm app where they do their own meditation. You know, we do a lot of journaling. We do a lot of visualization. Um, I mean, optimism is a huge part. And gratitude of, of our program and it's it's a it's a trained skill you've got to learn to to scan an environment and see the things that you like and be able to look past the things that that aren't as positive and that's that's a lens that's a filter and and the more you work at it the better you get so we'll do gratitude training often at the end of the day you guys have to list three things that went well during the day just because we're, we're trying to train them just to notice the good things and to appreciate the good things because it's very easy. If, if you want to find things to complain about, I mean, you're going to be successful. It's, it's so they're everywhere if you want them. Um, I mean, if you, want to, if you want to compare yourself to somebody else, every, every one of us can do that and, and find ourselves coming short. So, yeah, it's, you know, and you mentioned good guys. John Gordon came and actually spoke spoke to our athletes. Um, he's, he's a good friend of our athletic director, Michael Kelly. And, um, and you know, I've got the energy bus in my office and um, constantly 
you know, copying and pasting things and putting them in our in our bulls chat feature. And um, you know, I, I, whether or not every guy is reading it, <laughs> that that might be a different story. But I mean, I think our guys know how serious of a theme it is for us. I I, I believe they they really bought in two years ago. We we got very clear on what it means to be tough because everybody says they want to be tough and mental toughness is important. Who doesn't want to be mentally tough, but what does that mean? You know, you gotta, you gotta define it. Um, and we defined it. It's your ability to focus on the next most important moment, which usually in a tennis match is the next point. Um, we got clear on, on what, what it looks like, what it sounds like for every one of us. And, and we said, guys, it's, it, it can't just come when things, are going well it, yeah, it's very easy for us to puff your chest out and have good body language when you're winning what does it look like when we're down three one three two in a match you know what does that look like because that's the true test and we the guys bought into that and we won we won six or seven four three matches in a row and we 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 got the guys saying that this is exactly what we want we want a long physical drawn out match with all sorts of twists and turns all sorts of chaos because that's this environment that we thrive in. Um, and what happened at the NCAA tournament we, uh, two years ago, we were playing Alabama in the first round. The match went for nine hours. We had three outdoor rain delays before finally calling the match outside. We're, in, we're at the University of Texas in Austin. Their indoor facility during rush hour traffic is an hour away. So we, we, we get over there. We, we don't play indoors in Florida ever. Um, we, we have a 10-minute hit. Three of the courts, the roof starts leaking, so we're unplayable. The, the, the match ends up taking nine hours. And sure enough, comes down to the last match. We win it 4-3. I mean, so many times during that match, we looked like we, we were in trouble. Um, but... You know, the guys are like, yep, this is exactly where we want to be. When you start hearing them say some of the stuff that you're saying every day, when you start hearing your players repeat your lines on the court during a competition, you know that you're getting through to them. And that that's one of the greatest moments of my coaching career, hearing the guys just echoing you know, our, our sentiments and, and our themes and just being willing. It, 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 a lot of it comes down to vulnerability. You just got to be willing to to act and look like a, a winner and put it all on the line when it's not going well and 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 when it goes against you and, and we believe that you can walk out of out of a match with your head held high even when you lose. Universe Texas beat us four one. It was it was a heck of a, a dual match. Our guys gave it everything they had. Texas were just a were just a much better tennis program. They they deserve to beat us. They went on to win the the championship, and that's okay. That's going to happen a lot as a tennis player. You've got to you've got to know that, and you've got to look at that as a valuable resource, providing data that you can then use to go and get better. Go watch the go watch the match tape. You know, see why why you lost in straight sets. What does he do that that you didn't do? Where was he having success attacking? You know, learn from that. Apply it. And then come back and, and tell yourself that things are going to be different the next time you play that person. That probably wasn't the worst match to finish for you. I think that was Yatsik indoors, right? He's a big kid that hits a big ball. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. You got some pretty good uh, knowledge and memory there. Yeah, <laughs> um, but you know, I mean, as a freshman, 
who who has has some challenges dealing with with stress. Um, you know, I mean, he Avon uh, had. I mean, he's a he's a great example of some of this stuff. He in the same weekend, he was down four love in the third to Dane S's, and Avon was. I think would admit and the whole team would acknowledge that he was one of, one of our challenges. Um, you know, everybody comes in at a different level of maturity and you know that as a coach, you've recruited the guys. You can't, you can't be upset about it. You recruited him. So you just have your job just to, just to make him better. And he's going to, he started behind some of the guys, but he's down four love in the third against Dane S's. And he starts yelling out, "Don't worry, boys. I got this one. I got, you know, I'm coming back. Don't worry, boys. Let's let's do this." And he came back and he won six games in a row. That was on Friday. We we beat Tulane. They'd beaten us in the conference final the year before, seven five in the third deciding match. So yeah, that was a big one to 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 win that. And then on Sunday, we're playing against Virginia, and Ivan is a breakup in the third break point to go double break deciding match and it just it just took over the nerves just overcame him he just he wasn't able to receive information just a horrible helpless feeling as a coach when you're saying things and you can tell they're just not getting through um and you know i, I wish i could change that that day and try some different things but yeah, you know, he just, he just, it just got so, it just meant so much to him. Um, and he broke down in tears afterwards, crying. Felt like he'd let the whole team down. It was probably going to be the biggest win in program history. Yeah, you know, he put all of this on his own shoulders, which is, it's not the case. I mean, the, the last person doesn't lose the match. We lost, we lost four matches. Um, that doesn't carry any more weight than the guy that lost the first match. So. And again, we don't we don't define success like that anyway. It's it's you know how how committed were you to to the themes that we talked about? That's always going to be there our metrics, not the scoreboard. But you know he took that he took that hard, and it took him a while to to get back to playing some good tennis. And and it's a testament to him that next time he was in that situation was against Alabama, and uh, and he played a great tiebreak in the second set to win it after after having like a terrible. Like Shank let Cord winner go against him on a match point um, earlier in, in that in that second set before it got to the tiebreak. Mm-hmm. And you know you sort of talked about the parody earlier on in this podcast and why that makes college tennis so enjoyable because you know team ranked thirty five can beat a top ten team on any given week if the deuce points go their way. Um, about the no ad scoring, you know you played pro doubles. I'm sure you're intimately familiar with the no ad format now. You know a how much does that you think contribute to the parity we see? And then b you know from a developmental standpoint, do you enjoy the no ad scoring or would you prefer that it was still standard scoring format? Well, I, I enjoy it. I, I, I like it because of what you just said. It, it does add to the momentum shifts. It does, it does make it a little bit easier to break serve. Um, but I, I don't have a lot of sympathy for people that say I should have won because I went 0 for 5 on deciding points. It's like, I equate that to 
you, you're you're a builder and you built 75% of all the houses you're supposed to build. You didn't finish the job. You got it's a very simple system. You got to win four points to get the game. If you win three, you, you, you didn't do the job. You're 25% short. So you're not entitled to that last point just because you got to 40. So you know if that's that just shows kind of who the better player is. Like the guy that's coming up consistently when when the chips are down and those deciding points. It's, there's a reason he's winning, and I and so I think it's it, it's a it's a tremendous challenge. I believe it toughens you up. I before before the tour switched to um, to that sort of system. I, I remember playing World Team Tennis, and here you got this format: first of five, no ad scoring. You, you you're jumping out there with no warm up, off the bench often in front of a packed house every night as well. I mean, I wasn't at that point in my career, not that not that I was playing too many matches full of full stadiums, but it, 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 early in my career, it probably never happened. So, but but three weeks of that environment of world team tennis, um, and I would always come out so much sharper, always playing playing my best tennis around US Open and then, then the fall because of being in that tough environment where... You just, you know, everything counts in world team tennis. You go and have a bad set and you lose five love or something and mixed, which is pretty easy to do. I, I have a big serve. I, it, could, it could get away from you quickly. And and then all of a sudden your team's in big trouble because it's all based off every game counting. Um, so I think I think that's what we have now. And it's, um, it, it's a simple system for, for people that don't follow tennis. You just... I mean, I'd, I'd probably prefer it if we just went one, two, three, four, rather than fifteen, thirty, forty, like that. I can see how that can confuse some people that aren't don't have a background in tennis. But you know, I, I like it now. I think we just we, we we have to come to terms with that's that's the change. Just like I mean, it's it was amazing in doubles. The guys that that disliked that scoring format and the match tie breaks. They were the guys that was having the hardest time with it, and and they and I remember the tour was very smart initially after the first year. They came out and they said, "Guys, one full year of data before we switch to a match tiebreak for the third set, and no ad scoring. This is the percentage of higher ranked players that are winning in doubles, and this is the percentage now, and it actually went up given the new scoring system." Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you're playing the pressure points big. You're going to be better at them, um, or you're going to have the better results, certainly. And, you know, from a fan perspective, that sudden death aspect, who isn't going to get excited about a deuce point? And, you know, these, or sometimes you're seeing three matches wide, and there's a three-deuce point swing for a team, and the momentum shifts. As you mentioned, uh, that is what makes college tennis so, uh, so much fun. Now, you know, I do want to ask you a little bit about your time, again, as a coach, some of the things you've gone through, because... You know, I know, again, you've made the conference tournament final every season. And that second, you know, you won it last year, which I'm sure felt great. But I'm curious, what felt better? Uh, that second year where you guys are 10-16 and 16 throughout the year, and then you win 4-3 in the quarterfinals, 4-3 against Memphis. And, yes, you come up short 4-3 against Tulane. You know, how special was that run for you, given, you know, the turbulence earlier in the year? I mean, I, I got to give you a lot of credit, right, because that's – not many people 
have have seen that and I, I I've said it many times that the greatest performance at USF in the last five years the greatest example of guys maxing out what they had was that year that year when we lost it I mean we we had a lot of things go wrong for us that year we we Justin Roberts was was probably going to play one or two for us he went out in November with a with a like a season-ending wrist surgery, we thought Chase Ferguson, uh, who's our best player now, we we th- thought he was coming in January, and just things things kind of got away from us there. He wasn't able to come until the following year, and uh, another one of our guys on our team um, just decided to quit tennis and move back to Sweden. And he probably would have played. So we went from from having I thought we were going to have ten players to having seven, and we also we had overplayed in the fall, and I I did that intentionally, thinking we were going to have ten players and we wouldn't have any trouble guys sitting out of a match, um, which I like doing because I always like getting the guys that aren't in your lineup getting them opportunities. So. All of a sudden, we we had seven guys. The, the number seven was was supposed to be redshirting, um, and everybody has to sit out a match. So and it was just a season where just nothing. We just couldn't take a trick. I mean, every, we we lost many four three matches. We had we were up six two in the tiebreak deciding match to beat Baylor and lost that when Baylor were ranked four or five. Uh, we fell to 118 in the rankings. Um, at one point, we we had we actually suspended two guys for a match. They just got into a little bit of little bit of trouble off court, and so we played with five players against Princeton, who at the time were ranked 46 or something. We win the doubles point with two teams, and it's looking like we're in a position to win the match. And Barroso, our number one. Rolls his ankle. He was up a set. Rolls his ankle. Has to retire. We lose that match four three. Um, not only do we not get a quality win that we felt like we just never got going. We never got any sort of momentum. We never had that feeling of of winning a match and being on the bus and guys laughing and going to the team dinner. I mean those sort of things. They really just gel a gel a team and help you help you to get get, get things going. Um, so, I mean, not only do we, do we not win that match, but then Barroso's out for two or three weeks as well. So, yeah, it was just it was just not going well. Um, I mean, I remember at one point just sitting in my car. It took me an hour to get out of my car to walk into the athletics building just because I was so beaten down. I, at one point, I'm crying. And I'm just like, I, I, can't, I can't go to work like this. I need to get myself together. Um, had, had like an emergency session with our our mental skills like performance guy on staff kind of bust into his office um but at the same time i mean this is when you need it the most and we've always i've always been an optimist and our, our other coach alexander centenari at the time you know very similar in his beliefs and, and we said guys you trust us it's gonna turn it's gonna turn We've got enough good players on this team. It's going to turn. We'll we'll have our day. And it just it just wasn't coming. And then sort of out of nowhere, 
we we go to UCF. It was going to be the college game day, um, the tennis channel match. They were they were playing it once a month, and so our guys got they got really fired up for that. Um, not that they need any excuse when we're playing UCF, but it ends up raining and we go indoors. So unfortunately, they, they couldn't get the cameras inside, and we agreed to play the singles first to try to try to cut the match time for television, just try to compress it a little bit. Um, and out of nowhere, we win we win four straight set singles matches in in an hour and twenty minutes. And Xander and I are just looking at each other like, where where did this come from? Um, and that was that was a week before the conference tournament. So you know, we finally got it. We finally got that feeling, and drive back to Tampa, and guys are singing in the bus, and it's like, yeah, this is what it's taken a while, but this is what it, it feels like. We almost forgotten how to celebrate. I mean, I'm actually when we clinched the match, like. It wasn't a sort of like storm the court. It's like, what do we, what do, we do again when we win a big match? <laughs> so, so um, yeah, we, we go and then we, we, we beat Wichita State 4-3. And we've always done a good job of, of preparing well when we've played a team the second time. And we, we, we tell the guys, hey, don't worry. We're going to spend all week. We're going to watch every single match. Um, every single doubles, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna tweak things. We're gonna know kind of what because pr- trust me, Memphis after just completely whitewashing us and being ranked 18 in the country at the time, they're not gonna be changing too many things. But we are, so we've got that advantage. And so we we tell the guys the second time we're always gonna do better. And uh, and the guys believe that they bought into that. And, and now they have a little bit of equity in, t- in terms of some confidence. Won a couple of matches, and we beat Memphis four um, three. And then we go and play Tulane, who who had also beaten us six one two weeks earlier on the same trip where Memphis uh, smoked us. And it was just a tremendous effort. Uh, I mean, Sean Burnett lost lost the deciding match five in the third, but he was down a double break in the third and and fought his way back and. And just left it out there, and 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 at the end of the day, that's all. That's all you can ask. When you do that, you're going to get enough of the good results. And sometimes, sometimes, a lot of the time, it just doesn't go your way. But you don't walk off the court with any regrets. You know that you just you went all in. Guys were fighting. You prepare. You, you know, at, at the core of our program, it's it's you prepare, you know, looking for every possible advantage. No stone unturned. You compete unconditionally. And then you you hold your head high and you learn from it and you just go back to the start and the guys did that for, for and I remember saying you know for that group of guys to almost have this the same sort of year because you look back and look at the team with Roberto Sid Dominic Catrone Justin Roberts Sasha Gozun Peter Bertrand Vadim Kalushni you know for 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 this group of guys to to essentially sort of do the same thing and, and win a conference championship as that group was would just have been an absolutely ridiculous like example of guys just just lifting and just finding something and just all playing the best tennis at the same time i mean that's what college tennis often boils down to it's not it's not you know who's better it's can you can you get six guys bringing as close to their best tennis at the same time when you when you can do that you know, you're an extremely dangerous team. Yeah, Coach, you, 
you talk about that finish to the 2017-18 season, but uh, you know, I, our crack research department here has had, had informed <laughs> me that in 2017-18 and 19, your your program finished the year with its highest rank of any point in the season. So you've gone three years running playing your best tennis at the end of the season. Yeah, well, I'm I'm glad you guys noticed that. That's you guys do pretty impressive operation you, you have over there boys uh, but yeah i I'd, I'd be curious to to put that up against against other programs and and see how often that has happened because i think it's incredible i think it's a testament to to the way the guys have been able to just lift in in april and may and march and be playing their best tennis when when the final set of rankings comes out um, and it's something that, that we're very proud of. And the guys, you know, one, once you, once you have some evidence of it, it's that that's what coaches dream about. It now you've got some some tangible substance behind what you're saying, some buy-in. I mean, ideally, guys are taking everything on face value, but when you have it, those implicit memories behind it as well, um, you know, it's we our guys just believe that once the conference tournament begins just incredible things it's just our time it's 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 usf's time until until any team shows us otherwise it's our time yeah no without question and again if coach if you actually got to see what our research department looks like chris has been there in person <laughs> uh it's not as pretty as you would think it gets a little ugly certainly but we appreciate that as well and you know i do want to end with a rapid fire series of questions for you but my last question about your time at ucf again because your program continues to do better and better and you know you're winning again five out of six uh aac conference titles uh how are you feeling about you know the state of usf tennis as you turn the page into you know the 2020s yeah i'm i'm as excited and optimistic as as i've ever been um the 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 two guys that are joining the program this year uh are just exactly aligned with kind of our values um our guys continue to mature chase ferguson is working harder than he's ever worked um you know, the the last dance I think was was incredible resource for for all all athletes really uh, to watch that. But in terms of of leadership, that, that Michael Jordan and, and just how how hard he was pushing his teammates. I mean that's that's something we talk about. Is it's not just about you. You've got to make your court better. It's you you have to set the tone with your intensity if you're running and, and playing a ball that's four feet wide and you're getting behind it and, and still trying to keep a rally alive and just bouncing around and you know there's a very good chance that whoever's hitting with you is going to do the same thing it's like if you if, if you hit with rafa to warm up for one of his matches your intensity is going to be pretty good probably because you know it's him you don't want to let him down you know his sort of energy and what he's bringing so let's bring that every day. Let's let's define success also as not just crossing the finish line. It's how many you can pull with you. So you know the guys they 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 they're starting to get that. That's a that's a, a a new concept for 17, 18 year old guys that have been homeschooled. A lot of them that have played tennis for themselves. It's an individual sport. So you know it, it takes a while to to get this right, and and you know, it's probably never going to be exactly how, how you envision it um 
but it's getting closer all the time. I mean, it's it's progress. It's not perfection, and um, and certainly just given the time that we have now as coaches to prepare. I mean, if we're if if we if we don't have like the greatest practice plan, you know, drawn up for the month of August and September, then there's something wrong with it, with us. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. And I know I speak for all of us college tennis fans when I say we look forward to seeing your team get back on the court. All right. Last thing I want to do with you today, and you know, I have many more questions I can ask. I'm going to save them. So it, as an excuse to bring you back on the pot a different time, <laughs> uh, but let's, yeah, but let's do a rapid fire series of questions uh, because I don't think people understand just how good you were as a college tennis player. And obviously, you know, NCAA doubles finalists, I believe two or three time all American and you know, those teams, TCU teams you played on were very, very good. So let's start there. 96-4-2 loss to UCLA in the semifinals. Is that loss on you or is it on Rodidi? Because I've heard conflicting stories. Uh, it's it's on me, actually. Well, it's on me more than Rodidi. I, I, I played a terrible doubles match. We, we lost 8-4. Um, and we we needed to win the doubles point to to put pressure on UCLA. Rodidi went out and beat the number twelve guy in the country in straight sets. I mean he he couldn't do he couldn't do much more. He he got stopped. We needed we needed to give them a chance to beat Gimelstab and Muscatirovich at one. And we we were the first ones off the court losing eight four. I mean I know it's a rapid fire fire question here but no rapid fire in terms of i'm gonna ask a bunch oh, please okay. take as much time okay. as you well, need well let, let me just add a little more color to it <laughs> uh we we played lsu in the round in the, in the round of 16 i mean back then it was just 16 teams um and i told my parents to fly over from australia i said if, if you're ever going to come this is a year and we at one point we were ranked two in the country in doubles playing two doubles uh, Robinson and Rodidi were ranked one. Um, now, I mean, we all know the rankings sometimes are a little bit funky. And I, do I believe we were the two best teams in the country? No, I don't. But we, at one point, the rankings said we were. So you can imagine we had pretty strong doubles. Um, and we we lose a doubles point to LSU, and Rodidi loses. And he, he probably lost about, I'd say, eight or nine matches in four years I mean he just he would tell us before we played hey guys we're, we're up one nothing you can count on my man <laughs> like I, I'm guaranteeing it he, he would Joe Namath it every time <laughs> and um, and and so I'm thinking geez we've lost two points that we're, we're accustomed to getting here and it, it was one of those hottest days you've ever felt in Athens Georgia they took 10 people to hospital for heat exhaustion that day and I'm I'm playing this little little Hawaiian guy Ryan Idetta who's notorious for making people cramp. He just just didn't give you any pace. Just horrible matchup for me. I couldn't I didn't generate pace that well. I liked guys coming at me, giving me a target. And, and I'm down a set and a break, and I come back and win the second. I'm down three one in the third, and everything stops. It's 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 on me. It's my my match, and. I mean, it's it's crazy. At one point, I remember just being so gassed that I, it's it's like the scene from Rocky where, you know, you sort of like I was there returning, but I was in no position to return what was coming, and I deader wasn't able to get to the line to serve, 
um, and he he'd already been in trouble for like a time violation, and he 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 gets another one, and I'm pretty sure it was like a, for a game. Um, so like it, I've got a I've got a pretty good memory with scores and results, but I just can't I, I can't say this definitively, but I I have a feeling maybe he was up 40-30 or something in the game at four all, and he gets that game penalty slapped on him for me to surf. So you know I got. I end up serving it out. Team storms the court. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better moment for your parents that have flown from the other side of the world. I mean, still, out of all of my tennis memories, this is probably at the top. Um, and and then the next day, you play you play back to back days. Then four four in a row. The next day, you know, I think just adrenaline, just you know, go out, win the doubles easily. I win my singles three and two against a guy I'd lost to the year before. We beat Ole Miss 4-0 into the semis. And I, I think it just it caught up with me the next day because I just, I, even in the singles when I won, I just remember kind of just feeling lightheaded and just and just like the tank was close to empty. Um, but still, like, it's on me for not not kind of having the awareness to, to know that, maybe to to be taking energy bars or more fluids or something like I just I just kind of went through the motions and we lost eight four and it was just I was almost just kind of happy happy to be in the semis it was it was a poor performance and and one that I've looked back on and and thought about many many times mm-hmm. well the follow-up to that what's more difficult playing that three all match or being the coach when it's three all Oh, being the coach, I mean, it's, yeah, it's just, it, it, it's tough. I mean, you just, you know, I mean, you know, on the one hand, it's great. And I, I, I'm constantly trying to hit and put myself in as many pressure situations as a player as I can just to remind myself because we take it for granted, coaches. We, we talk about it and it's so easy from the sidelines. But you've got to remember just, just how hard it can be um as a player when when pressure hits and it just it hits it hits all of us and and we've all there's not one of us that could say we haven't had plenty of days where we just haven't responded well to it so it's 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 tough when you you know that somebody's suffering that much somebody that you care about so much and you're just you, you're not able to find the right words to to help help them Mm-hmm. And I'm sure for you, it helps having gone through those your experiences yourself. All right, I think these next questions are going to give away who my source is here. But you talked about, you know, Rodidi was a sure thing. You obviously were fairly fair, you know, pretty impressive yourself uh, in college. Who was the more sure thing point-wise in singles, you or him? Uh, and would, oh, and follow-up, would you want either of you guys playing in your current lineup? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I call Rodidi... The, the, the greatest college player that I've ever seen. Um, he, you know, I mean, that, that year I, I, I lost four times. I think I went 22 and four and um, a couple of, I was playing four, but I, I think a couple, couple of the losses were in matches. We won six, one. Um, I didn't do very well at the national indoors. That's when two, the other two losses came. Um, but Rodidi, after that day when he lost, I mean he, yeah, the guy hugged me because he 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 that would have been his last match. I mean for him to end his college career like that, 
losing singles and doubles would have just been an injustice. I mean, that's he probably lost 10 matches in singles and doubles in four years. Um, so he, he, I think he, he realized, like, okay, I sort of got a second chance at this. And he goes out and plays Johan Hede from, from Ole Miss, who made semis of the individuals the next week, did not lose a match for the year, did not lose a match in the SEC. And apparently when Billy Chadwick, when they would go over the scouting reports for matches, they just skipped Hede. They didn't even bother spending a minute on it because he was so automatic, right? I mean, this guy was like beyond Borg. I mean, he, <laughs> it, was, it was hard to, you know, like it was a lot harder to hit winners back then. Um, the technology wasn't as explosive. And and this guy just does, wouldn't miss a ball. So Rodidi's out there, beats him four and four. I mean, they're having they're having rallies that are lasting minutes. I mean, Rodidi, Rodidi also said he didn't hit a winner from the back of the court <laughs> in his college career. He would slice every single backhand, and then he eventually find his way into the net, and he volleyed better than anybody I'd ever seen. So he 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 shakes this guy's hand. And then he throws up everywhere. Probably three seconds after shaking his hand, just throws up and was in all sorts of trouble. But no idea that he he was struggling. I mean, he hit it so well. I can't imagine feeling like that and playing against this guy and knowing that if you don't if you don't close it out here, it's going to be tough. And then the next day, he, UCLA that year went twenty-seven and zero. Uh, they had an incredible team. Um, Muscatirovich was a, was a pro that had back then you did it the other way you played pro tennis then you went to college if your pro career didn't quite take off but he, I guess he was probably 200 250 in the world in singles um, he was ranked 11 in the country Rodidi beat him in straight sets from UCLA um, so Rodidi was was incredible and um, and he was also sort of like our head coach back then he 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 just had such an amazing command of the sport and how to read players and just just loved being in the spotlight just i mean i'm sure that's not surprising to you guys <laughs> but you know for a 19 20 year old just to just to want to be out there just to want thousands of people watching to want it to come down to his match every time i mean that's that's a rare trait Mm-hmm. And knowing, you know, that he's now the head coach at TCU, you're head coach at USF, you mentioned a guy, I know you made the semifinals of the US Open with Trip Phillips, the assistant at UNC, and, you know, you can go on and on. There are so many former college players littered uh, throughout the college tennis coaching ranks. Is that cool for you to get to coach alongside of, you know, against the players you were also either competing with or against in college as well? Yeah, it's amazing. The, the whole thing is cool. It's just, it's come full circle. You know, mm-hmm. tennis has given me so much it's just to be able to play a sport as your job and to visit all these countries and to my parents are just the biggest tennis fans and to be able to get them credentials and get them to 35 grand slams that they watched um to meet my wife through tennis and have two beautiful children it's just been the gift that's just kept giving and now it's it's come full circle and it's it's my turn to pay it back um and it's probably the one of the reasons i'm in college tennis is because of rodidi and bowen devin bowen i played with for two years professionally he was 
I didn't have too many people believing in me either, guys. I was I started out as a number eight guy on TCU. I didn't I wasn't playing singles or doubles my first year. Um, so you know, I wasn't I don't think I would have even gone and played professional tennis had it not have been for Rodidi and Devin Bowen. They were already out there having success and and me just knowing that I was on a comparable level with those guys in college and just having beaten them in practice, that gave me some sort of belief that maybe I could do it. And then they also told me how to do it. They said, get over to Europe, play a lot of challenges on clay, play in the summer when everybody's playing club tennis, You know, find a club tennis deal as well, earn a little bit of money, learn how to play on clay. I mean, they, they, they provided the, the vision, they believed in me, and then they showed me how to do it. No, that's so awesome to hear. And, you know, last two questions on that note, because I like this sentiment. But going to the 1996 final again, you make the doubles final there. Uh, do you think that match was lost due to your short pockets that you played with? <laughs> well, how did you guys come up with that? That's, that's, <laughs> uh, no, it, it wasn't. That was unfortunate. The match was lost because I, I couldn't put an overhead away. We, we we hadn't lost a set until the we won every match in straight sets. We won, I think we won maybe maybe five and two, four and three, four and four, four and two, and we're up seven six three love thirty forty. I get a back end return, my favorite. So shot. real quickly, not to cut you off, but that was f- almost flawless. Four and three, oh. four and four, four and two were the last three rounds. The first match, you're not giving yourself enough credit. Three and one over South Alabama. Okay, three and one. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, okay. Yeah, so nobody even got to five, right? Yeah. Three, three and one. Well, yeah. And I don't think we've been broken either. I mean, and we were, we were hanging on. I mean, we probably... Gimelstad and Muscatirovich probably went 0 for 10 on break points in the first set. But, you know, we, I felt like we had this dam up. And once, maybe once that dam got breached, it was going to be harder. And so, you know, we don't break, but, you know, it's no big deal. We haven't been broken. And we're up 3-1 and just a really long game on my serve. I have an overhead to put to put the game away for us that I miss. Where I don't put away, they reflex it back, and then I have an overhead. I'm near break point. I miss it, three two, and then it just felt like they were the better team from there. But it was it was unfortunate. We'd just broken back in the third, and we were 15 all, four all with with Weir Smith serving. He was a lefty, huge serve, and he and 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 twice the ball had come. You're right, it had come out of my pocket twice. And this time, though, Jason's hat fell off. But I'm I'm pretty confident that Gimelstab had already made contact with the return that he hit out. But the umpire, you know, they they appealed. They said, look, the hat fell off, and then the umpire awarded them the point, made it 15-30 instead of 30-15. In my mind, Jason got broken, and they served it out. But it just a little bit of I've got to get a laugh out of this because I can't. You just made me relive like one of the toughest moments in my life. And, and, and Gimelstab is one of my best friends. I, I was a groomsman at his wedding. I mean, he, he reminds me about this all the time. Um, but our coach was, he, he was such a detail-oriented guy. And he was the sort of guy that 
we would get into the airport four hours too early because <laughs> 14 years ago, you know, they'd had that one flat tire where they, you know, missed the flight. So, you know, we're paying paying for it ever since. Um, so yeah, we had these we had these short pockets and the ball comes out. So next year, what, what do you what do you think happens? We we get these shorts where you could have fit 12 balls in there. I mean. <laughs> time violations because I'm like so deep in my pocket trying to find the ball to serve it's just a mine yeah it's a mine yeah, shaft exactly. that you're going digging in I'm like, <laughs> I'm like touching my sock trying to find a ball <laughs> That is too funny. No, that's great. And I know, you know, Gimmelstab, uh, he and his partner took out both you guys and Paul and David that year. And, you know, that's my final question for you. I have to ask, I know towards the end of the year, you know, you and uh, you and Jason were undeniable, ended up making the jump, playing a little bit of one doubles. But in practice, to get to play with a team that, you know, also makes the quarterfinals that year, that had made the NCAA tournament, I think, the three years prior as well. Uh, how high was the level of competition? And just be honest, who was the better team you know Weir Smith and Fisher or Robinson and Rodidi no they, they were the better team but you bring <laughs> up you bring up a good point that just getting to practice and we would end every day playing doubles that, that's how we did it there was no individuals we just have three hours of practice Monday to Friday and then a Saturday morning practice and and every day we would play a pro set of doubles first to eight and a lot of the time we're playing against those guys and we we also had at one point the, the year that I didn't play uh, was be, because that three doubles was two guys named Dax Peterson and Stefan Figley, and they were both doubles all Americans from the previous year. So they they were very good doubles players. Um, you know, Devin Bowen got to forty in the world. He was he was on one of our teams. Uh, even even Tim Leonard and, and Matt Walsh, two guys that that weren't part of the starting lineup. Both those guys went on to to you know, Matt and I made finals of a satellite. Tim Tim got to three fifty in doubles. You know, we, we had so many guys that, that had you know, somewhat pro resumes um, and just, just getting I learned so, so much from Rodidi in, in those years playing with him. He would just break it down and, and he was never afraid to tell you when you've done something wrong or you could have done something better. So um, yeah, he was just a, a wealth of information. No, I actually think he looks younger now than he did then. It's crazy. <laughs> I don't know how yeah, I don't know how he does it. But uh coach, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Seriously, I mean it when I say Chris and I are fans from afar of your USF program, how you guys just keep rocking and rolling every year. And so good luck to you and your teammates throughout all of this. Obviously, I hope you and your family stay safe, stay healthy, and we look forward uh to seeing you compete again in twenty twenty one. And of course, no, you are welcome back anytime. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. You you guys are a lot of fun and you you're very sharp. You, you you know your college tennis as well as anybody I've ever spoken to, and it's it's amazing just having guys like you out, out here that are that are promoting the sport, but having a great time doing it. Ultimately, that's that's what it's all about. You work hard, but you know that you're doing something that's fun, and 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 you get to enjoy it. And you guys are great examples of that. I really appreciate you saying that. Know that I also struggle with overhead, so the feeling is mutual. <laughs> it's not just you. But, uh, Coach, again, stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll talk to you again soon. Cheers, guys.
Hope all of you enjoyed mine and Chris's conversation with University of South Florida men's tennis head coach Ashley Fisher. I will certainly say this. It will come as no surprise to anyone that Coach Fisher has started his own podcast. And uh, you can understand why. Just a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of experience into so many topics right now, uh, so many issues confronting the tennis world. And so seriously, it was such a pleasure to have that conversation. Coach Fisher, thank you again for taking the time to chat. And <clears throat> as I told him uh, in the moment— you know, we will always be welcome to have him back on the show at any time. Um, we've been able to have so many great guests on our Cracked Interviews podcast as of late. We are so grateful to all of the players, coaches, people throughout the tennis world uh, who are willing to take the time to chat with us, in particular for me, willing to put up with my bad jokes because, as you listeners know, I would say, see, I was going to give you a number that would have been way too generous is it safe to say, I mean, no one watches baseball anymore, so let's just be honest. If I'm giving a percentage, I mean, no one bats a thousand, right? Oh, I got into the baseball analogy. My bad. Um, it's not Isner's first serve in terms of my joke conversion rate, but it's an effective first serve, right? In terms of that disarming humor. Who are we going to compare it to? I don't know. I guess I'll table that one. Uh, maybe Taylor Fritz because it just comes so naturally, right? It's a beautiful motion there. That's a nice little joke for you all. Anyways... We've had the chance to have so many great conversations on our Cracked Interviews as of late, so many great college conversations as well. Uh, All-Americans from 2020, Sam Riffis, Oliver Crawford, Haley uh, Giovara, Andrew Fenty, Jada Hart, of course, Michaela Gordon, Ashley Leahy, Alexa Graham, so many more. You know, pro-wise, we've talked to Monica Pui, Bethany Maddox-Sands. Uh, you know, there's so much going on in the pro tennis world right now, so I would also recommend go check out the Great Shot podcasts I did last week with Monday Matt. Match analysis host Gil Gross, New York Times writer, NCR podcast host Ben Rothenberg, you know, mini break wise, Mark Lucero we had on the show yesterday because, again, pro tennis is making its return, uh, but there are a lot of details still up in the works. We are well aware of the fact and we are wishing for a speedy and safe recovery for Grigor Dimitrov, Borna Chorich. I saw Victor Troisky. I know Victor Troisky's wife uh, also. Uh, testing positive for COVID. Just anyone uh, who, uh, as a result of the Adria tour, you know, testing positive, we wish them a speedy and safe uh, recovery. But of course, we want to talk about what happened there and how that impacts tennis moving forward as well. Of course, there are other great events. We'll have a lot of fun guests for you throughout the week, so you don't want to miss any of those mini break podcasts, nor those great shot podcasts, uh, any of our Cracked Rackets podcasts. So be sure to go like, rate, subscribe, review, share them with your friends. We have been so grateful uh, for all of you who have taken the time again to interact with us on Twitter as of late. Those of you who took the time to reach out to me uh, to say, uh, you know, congratulations, I suppose I'm breaking the Oracle story. Just, uh, you know, I just want to say again how much that sort of thing means to me uh, to know that there's a community of you out there who support us. And by the way, for all of you uh, who are our Patreon supporters who listen to this podcast, please know that our first ever Patreon mailbag show now available on Patreon. Uh, And it was a phenomenal episode. Uh, I know this is, you know, I'm supposed to sell it because I want all of you who are not Patreon subscribers to go become that. Uh, But just if you trust me on this one, it was a mailbag edition. Me, Max Rothman, unfiltered, no quacks. That means you got to hear us swear. You got to hear our thoughts. You got to hear some background into how the pod was formed. You know, Max and I making our college decisions, all of the usual Michigas. Harry Jaden, the Michigan State men's tennis head coach, asked me to give some love advice. It's 
it's really funny. Um, it, it, it was a really enjoyable podcast, so that's out there for you, Patreon subscribers. And again, we really appreciate all of your continued support. I also have to give a shout-out to the continued support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports. Uh, go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. And our friends at Aerobar. Go to Aerobar.com. Be sure to use that promo code CRACKED15 as well. Nutrition, equipment, it'll all be covered. Uh, and you can get a little bit of a discount as well thanks to the support we get from our friends. I also get daily support from my super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, who have a f- of an editing job to do. We also, by the way, for those of you who want to know why is that, why how I end every podcast, why is that the sequence of words I go to, I explain that on the Patreon podcast. You can learn the origins of that quack and more. Uh, it's a fun story. I think you'll all enjoy it again. So a shout out to them, though, for their continued work since the beginning. I know I can always turn to them and they always get the job done. Uh, again, if you've missed any of our content, be sure to go to the website, CrackedRackets.com, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. It's at CrackedRackets. You want to DM me directly, feel free to at GreatShotPod. Uh, but with that being said, for our wonderful guests, University of South Florida men's tennis head coach Ashley Fisher, for my co-host on this podcast, also Chris Hallioris, our super producers Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, you've been listening to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you all next time. Thanks, everyone. 